Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode number 21 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers, joined, as always, by my co-host, Joe DeMeo. A very, very happy holidays to all the listeners of the show. Of course, we're not taking the week off, and we're not taking next week off. Uh, Joe and I are very excited, even though the baseball hot stove always hits a little bit of a lull right around Christmas time, and then it'll probably be like a rocket ship after New Year's. Uh, this is a good time to sit back, look at everything on the table. We're going to talk about a couple somewhat hypothetical trade ideas I came up with today, and, and Joe is going to weigh in on his thoughts and how much he likes them or how much he dislikes them. and. Some of them are buzzy names that you've seen already floating around on social media, on MLB Network, and from plenty of the insiders. We're going to talk about uh, maybe an international signing that can affect the Mets' rotation, and a couple other things. What would we want to see? We're going to go with a Christmas theme here. You know, what presents would we want under the tree? And we're going to answer your questions. So, Joe, a very happy holidays to you, my friend. How are we doing as we wind down a little bit from work, but we do not wind down from talking about the New York Mets? Happy holidays, Connor, and to everyone listening. I hope you uh, enjoy it, get to relax a little bit. But yeah, everything's going great. Uh, done Christmas shopping, got everything wrapped, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty much ready to go and just excited to talk about Mets and getting ready for hopefully some action in the next, you know, in the coming weeks here. Yeah, I'm the last minute king uh, when it comes down to that stuff. I will go right down to the wire almost until Christmas Eve at this point, which is it. It gives. I just I I like living on the edge a little <laughs> bit. So it's not the best strategy, uh, but here we are. I'm going to prioritize this instead. And and I say we get right into it. You know, there, of course, there's been so much news going on in the football world uh, this time of year as well that I do rely on Joe to text me a lot of the the crazy Mets stuff and. You know, a lot of things going on have been people discussing trade ideas. Uh, the networks like to do it. The insiders, you know, like to do it. it. It seems like there's been a lot of buzz about, you know, teams maybe selling off big pieces, players that make a lot of money or players that are poised to make a lot of money. And this was the beginning, the first time that I had seen these two names paired together as potential, uh, a big package here. And the first trade idea the name, the first name would be Eugenio Suarez from the Reds, the power-hitting third baseman, and of course, the starting pitcher in the rotation, Sonny Gray. There is some rumblings of the Reds maybe uh, unloading some money, because you sit there and go, why would these guys be available? Gray, it's not really shocking, but Suarez is somebody that is on a long-term extension. He signed through 2024. He doesn't really make all-world money, in a sense. And he has been a tremendous power hitter in baseball now uh, for a couple years. I mean, since 2017, he's hit over 25 home runs every year. You look at 2019, he hit 49 home runs. A lot of people forget that him and uh, Pete Alonso were really going back and forth a bit in the NL there. 
And even last year in the shortened season, he hit 15 home runs. So you're talking about a premier power bat that plays third base. And of course, Sonny Gray, uh, for those that did not keep up with him, has really turned it around with the Reds after a struggle, big time struggles with the Yankees. So I'm talking about a package of these two players, Joe. And I think the return would be something along the lines here of maybe a J.D. Davis. So they get a a player that could step in right away and maybe fill some of that power void they're losing on a very cost-controlled next three years. Brett Beatty, they're getting a former very recent first-round pick, another power bat for their system. And then a guy like Jerry's Familia, where the Mets are sitting here going, well, we'd like to clear some short-term money in all of this because there there is some money they're taking on here, not as much. Joe, where am I wrong in this deal? And also, this kind of shocked me. Do you think it's even realistic that a guy like Suarez could be on the market? I do actually think it's realistic that Suarez could be on the market. Um, the Reds actually have a third baseman prospect that was drafted in the first round a couple of years back as well, Jonathan India. Uh, he was from the University of Florida. So they do have you know someone potentially coming at third base, which is where I think like a guy like Brett Beatty, I think fits very well. And I, I think that's the type of prospect that would have to be, I guess, the big prospect in, in the deal where he could be a third baseman or potentially a first baseman as Joey Votto only has so much time left. Uh, what, what I would say is I don't think they're going to take Familia back. So I think you're kind you're going to have to just take the Suarez and Gray money, which really is just about $20 million for this year between them. So it, it's not a sum of money that you can't absorb. It, it wouldn't stop you from going for George Springer, for example. You'd be able to make this deal and get George Springer and probably have about $10 million left before the luxury tax. Uh, but So maybe you sub in a younger reliever, someone like a Drew Smith. Where the Mets, you know, the Mets have a bit of wealth in right-handed relievers on the 40-man roster. So a cheap young guy that I think the Red, the Reds can kind of dream on a little bit, Drew Smith, could be a good fit. And I would just say flip J.D. Davis to Ahmed Rosario, maybe, as the Reds are looking for a shortstop, more so than a third baseman. Even if they trade Suarez, I think they'd, you know, more easily fill that position, and they'd be looking for kind of like a younger long-term shortstop. So... Not to rip your deal apart, per se. No, I like it. But Yeah, but I'd say if, if you made it Rosario, Beatty, and Drew Smith, and maybe you have to throw in like a sweetener, some, you know, an, an A-ball prospect who has some upside that's not really highly ranked, uh, something like that, that that could be something I think that would interest the Reds and certainly should interest the Mets. Because, uh, you know, I, I'll get into it when we're talking about what we want, you know, under a tree and in the stocking a little bit uh, in more detail. But Suarez is, you know, about an average third baseman, maybe a tiny tick below, but like he's a perfectly competent third baseman defensively. And like you said, he's been a huge impact bat and he hits from the right side, which is something that the Mets sorely need to add is right handed thump in the lineup. So Suarez to me kind of fits like a glove and he's under control, I believe, for the next four years at about 11 million a year. So it's a steal for what what type of production he's he's done over the last you know two three years not counting the short in 2020 where he had struggles like many players did and Sonny Gray is a guy uh, I'm personally really high on and uh, like I said I'll I'll save it a little bit so I could really dive in because I'm gonna get a little nerdy with you 
All right, that's fair enough here. No complaints here. I think when you look at it, you know, Suarez is somebody that would personally excite me because I think it gives you stability at third base. It gives you power from the right side. Um, he's still young. He, he won't turn 30 years old till July of next season. So you're looking at it going, okay, we're, we're paying him, you know, not like a superstar. I, I mean, let's be real. If the Mets go out and sign George Springer, it's going to be upwards of $25 million a year, while Suarez is someone over the next four years, like Joe said, makes around 11 mil. So I think it's one of those deals where that's that's definitely a big splash. And Gray is a sweetener of that where it's he's a cost control pitcher. He's only making ten million over the next two years. So you have a truly a number three starter in your rotation for the next two years, somebody that's been very successful in the National League, and you're just not really sending back much in return is what it ultimately comes down to. So that was the one I think that it maybe excited me the most. Now, this one, to me, I, I know what you're going to say, not to give it away, but the next trade is going to be, of course, for Nolan Arenado. And I think Joe, is his biggest correction is the Rockies will probably have to take some money back. Now, I've made this trade Brandon Nimmo, J.D. Davis, and Josh Wolf. So they're getting a pitcher, a pitching prospect, which the Mets are going to be very hesitant to give up this offseason. I will go out and say that right away. The Mets are not going to be looking to give away a pitching prospect, but he's not their number one or number two guy, so maybe there's a chance. Do you want to trade Nimmo? No, but you are getting Nolan Arenado. Do you want to trade J.D. Davis in this situation? Yes. I think he's going to be the most consistent piece you're hearing as a return in these trades. Joe, am I right that there has to be money sent back in this deal? And two, Am I overvaluing Nolan Arenado in this trade? So, yes, I think you have to send some money back in this deal. But all in all, I don't think it's a crazy unreasonable deal. I would fight like hell to keep Nimmo out of it. But I think this is pretty fair if you're able to tack on some money in the deal that, you know, can help. Because Arenado's a massive contract. And... I'd be stunned if he opted out. Everyone's worried about this opt-out. He's not going to opt out of $35 million a year after this year. If he opted out, he wouldn't even get close to $35 million a year next year in free agency. I don't I don't think so, at least. I think he'd be, you know, kind of in the George Springer-ish range, 25 to $27 million a year. So I think if you do this, you have to send some real money back, maybe get some cash even thrown in, too, because... This is a contract that it's a little concerning. It's a lot of money for a lot of time. So all in all, I think it's it, it, I think it's a fair deal. May it be slightly high given the contract? Yeah, but you know you you still are getting a superstar player, so it's going to cost you something. And Josh Wolf is, you know, an intriguing pitching prospect. Uh who but he's more of like a back end of the top 10 kind of guy. So it's it's a piece that you can part with. Whereas, you know, a guy like Nimmo, you know, you're, you'd really have to be in that, in a sense, it's actually kind of funny. If you made a deal like this, you'd almost be hoping that there is not a DH. So that way you could jam Dom Smith in left field and Pete Alonso at first. And, you know, your problem there is solved. Whereas if there's a DH, you're going to want to play Dom at first, not left. And then you're going to kind of need a left fielder at that point. So all in all, not too bad, but you would need to send money back and or get money 
sent back the Mets way from Colorado. You have to, for Colorado to move Arenado, they have to do something that they don't want to do, which is either pitch a bunch of money or take back some some real money. I know that MLB Network even speculated like a Robinson Cano, and I don't know if they take that much back, and Cano might not even waive his no-trade clause either. But, yeah, they'd have to do something kind of uncomfortable as far as money goes if they want to get a a return of actual talent. I do think it's interesting with all this buzz coming out that the Rockies want the Mets involved and that the only names you hear connected to Arenado, or at least the names I hear over and over again, is the Dodgers and the Mets. It almost makes you wonder. It's crazy to say this about a multi-time gold glove third baseman that hits for power. It, it, that where's his value right now, right? That's it's a crazy contract. Like it's, it doesn't really tail off either. He's making thirty five million dollars per year right now. I know the last year of it, I think it's twenty seven mil. But in between that, it doesn't really trend downward that much. It stays above thirty million for most of the deal. It's a mega deal for a guy that is entering the wrong side of thirty. He's a phenomenal player. But you just have to sit there and wonder in this climate, what will the return look like? It's not going to be your day of you're getting the top two prospects in the system and two pro-ready players, like a four-player package that is just, it can change your franchise. He's not getting that kind of return. But I do agree, Joe, that the hopes of Robinson Cano being sent back in any of these trades, I don't think that's reality, quite frankly, because it just creates a new problem for that team. Uh, for the following two years after this one. So the last trade idea I have, it's not going to surprise anyone because we are the Francisco Lindor podcast. And I think the hope for acquiring him has surprisingly faded a little bit. But it's also no secret because I know guys like Jeff Passan and, and Ken Rosenthal, all those guys say everybody knows Cleveland wants to and has to move him. So the trade here, this is obviously the most costly because he's he's the youngest guy in all these trades play short tremendous player so it's going to be a med rosario which won't really break a lot of mets fans hearts i think if it was jimenez it would so a med rosario the combination of jd davis and brandon nimmo now i know cleveland needs corner outfield so i don't i don't think you're pulling this deal off without nimmo and then a pretty dang good pitching prospect that is jt ginn you're not sending matt allen i'm convinced and maybe i'll be wrong i don't think the mets entertain anything for Alvarez or Matt Allen. I think they're one and two prospects they do not even discuss in any deals. But maybe the next tier, a guy like Ginn. So this is, Lindor's a great player. And I'd make this deal 100 out of 100 times. But this is a pretty good return for Cleveland in a sense that you still have to pay Lindor probably $300 million. They have to move him. They're getting power in J.D. Davis and cost control. A very good left fielder in Nimmo that they need that's cost controlled a good arm and gin for their system, and a guy that you can play at shortstop or use off the bench with speed and Rosario. So this one's very interesting, and I think the Mets wouldn't do this deal, to be totally honest wow, with Wow, okay. Um, I think this deal, what it does to the Mets is it— I think the Mets plan to play Jeff McNeil at second base. And in this deal— you would be moving on from your third baseman, J.D. Davis, which I think would force McNeil to third, where they don't really want to play him, but they can. 
and then Jimenez would go over to second. So there'd be some kind of shifting around, and they'd still have to you know deal with whatever left field is. Uh, so I think it's just it's stripping a lot of major league depth from the Mets. And while yes, you'll be able to hang on to your prospects because I agree, I don't think Alvarez and Allen are guys that will be discussed in deals. I'd be surprised. Um, a guy like JT Ginn could be, and you know he certainly has plenty of upside. But I almost wonder if the Mets would rather, just for the sake of look, they're also trying to win here too. It's not, it's not you know all about looking ahead. I wonder if they'd sacrifice Nimmo and in this case say we want to hang on to JD Davis and replace him with. I wish I could give you a prospect in my head, but maybe a Mark Vientos or something like that. So not a and Beatty say, we'd re- level player. A tier two right, below exactly. That. Yeah, go a tier below that. You get one of our better prospects in Ginn. You get one guy a tier below that. You get a shortstop replacement and an everyday left fielder. To me, that probably makes more sense where the Mets might want to do it. Because I, I just don't think the Mets are going to be trading three major league players and a quality prospect for Lindor. But if you could swap out JD for someone like Vientos, that one might be a, a little more intriguing. And I think the overall theme that the listeners are probably sensing here is that Joe and I see the returns for these superstars much lower than a lot of the networks do. I just, there's just not a lot of teams that are signing 250 to $300 million checks right now. They're not doing it. And if these teams know they have to part with these players to get anything back right now, they're the ones with no leverage. So, and these aren't, you know, like WFAN caller trades, right? Like, this is a good return. Nimmo is highly valued in baseball. The numbers speak for themselves. He is a good corner outfielder. And, you know, obviously somebody like Ginn or, you know, would be a nice return for the farm. But you're just, and correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, I just think the names that we will hear, even when it's, it's not the Mets, right? It's the Dodgers that make a big move. It's the Blue Jays that make a big move. I don't think we're going to be wowed by their returns in these deals if they happen. I I agree with you. I think Lindor, I think he'll get a pretty good return. So I don't think Lindor is going to be one of the guys where we're talking about, wow, I can't believe he got you know acquired for that little. But if Nolan Arenado is traded, that's the deal to me that we're going to look at and go, oh my God. They basically just gave away Nolan Arenado. Like Stanton, in a way? Yeah. In a sense, I think it will be not too dissimilar to a Stanton trade, where that was, I think, Starlin Castro and a couple prospects. Um, I don't even remember who the prospects were, but the deal was just like, oh, wow, they just they just wanted to get rid of that money. Okay. And uh, that's where I think you could be from an Arenado perspective, whereas someone like Lindor, I think it will take you know at least one really nice piece and I personally would wager on the Blue Jays being the team that steps up in that trade and acquires Lindor. But it's going to be interesting to see over the next month kind of how how that market unfolds. Because a lot of things that we've been talking about for two months here about who's going to get traded, what free agents are going to go here, they're basically all still available. So, you know, there's going to be quite a bit of action packed into a not too big amount of time, let's call it second week of January through early February. Yeah, and I think another thing, you know, of course, underlying in all of this is there could be a a signing that surprises us 
that changes the outlook of these returns, right? Like, quite frankly, and this could be completely a negotiating tactic, but the buzz around DJ LeMayhew and the Mets and Blue Jays has picked up. And if you sign a LeMayhew to play third or you have him play second, wherever it is in the infield, it changes how your returns look, right? It makes a guy like J.D. Davis pretty easy to give up. It, it really does. So now I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I'm saying the trickle effect of, of a signing uh, can really, really have on how a trade works. And I am in the group that thinks the Mets will make one big signing, and I think they will make one pretty big trade, quite frankly. I really do. I don't think it'll be you know Bauer and Springer on the same day, and then they just kick their feet up and go, okay, we got what we think is two new stars and a catcher and and that's it and not fill out a team. So speaking of that, filling out a team, this is a club that needs to fill out a rotation. And Joel Sherman of the New York Post has reported, and this is something we have not seen with the Mets in a very long time, that they are a team to watch on Tomoyuki Sagano, the pitcher um, what what team did he pitch for last year, Joe? Just to be exact, so you could people could actually look him up. Yeah, he he pitched for the Yomiri Giants. Okay, so I mean, obviously, that's a premier club overseas. Yeah, it's, it's the yeah, it's the yeah, it's the Yankees yeah. of the NPB. I was gonna sure. say that is a very recognizable club. So this is uh, he's obviously coming off a great season. This would be in the international free agent market where, uh, you know, Joe's gone over this before, but I believe the team post him right and then there's two different transactions that have to take place yeah so the posting process has changed a little bit from the way it used to be uh it's basically now the team will get a cut of whatever contract the the player obtains so you know when you post them you're basically saying he's available and now that player will negotiate with let's call it all 30 teams and whoever they sign with you know, the Yomiri Giants will get a cut of money there. Whereas it used to be, you know, you had to be willing to do the $20 million posting fee and then, you know, whatever the contract is, you know, it is. So it just changed a little bit, but generally speaking, yeah, you post them, you get a cut of the deal, and but now it's they're negotiating with all teams rather than secluded to a team. Now, you know, obviously the Mets have really not been active you know, with with Japanese players since Kaz Matsui is the one that comes to mind for me. And, you know, we've seen the Yankees obviously hit, hit big on on players from Japan, whether it was Hideki Matsui, obviously Masahiro Tanaka, somebody that we want the Mets to sign now. This is not a young player. Uh, he's 31 years old, but he's been a dominant pitcher over there. So when you look at this, now... Opinions are all over the place, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I can evaluate, you know, what a pitcher that's dominating in Japan will do when he comes over the major leagues. And it's hard for anyone to do that, but I'm definitely not going to pretend. We've talked about him before on the show. Joe, I remember you saying he's more of a middle-of-the-rotation guy. He's not expected to come over and be a number one, which the Mets certainly don't need him to be that. What excites you about the potential of signing him and... How do you view him now that there's been a little bit more time? The last time we talked about him, it was, hey, you never know. He might come over it, it finally. And now it's, no, this is happening, and the Mets are in it. What I find really interesting about Sugano is, so I, I've obviously dove into him much more since our original discussion about him. Like you said, it was like, oh, yeah, this guy might come over. 
But the New York Post article today with Joel Sherman really brought a ton of detail in. And obviously, he's a multi-time winner of the Sawamura Award, which is the Japanese uh, version of the Cy Young Award. And, you know, evaluators, there are evaluators that think he is like a number two type starter. And then there's some that think he's more of a number four type starter. And, you know, a floor of someone like a Hiroki Kuroda, who actually had, you know, a pretty good run. But what I find really interesting about him is that he, the... Yomiri Giants typically do not post players. They just say, you're going to stay with Yomiri until you are eligible to be a free agent. And then if you decide you want to go to America or wherever, you can. But they did they did him a solid. Uh, so he signed with them at a younger age because his uncle was the manager of the team. And he asked to be posted. They granted it. And what I find really intriguing is in the article it says, Sugano played for the Yankees of the NPB, and he's used to the spotlight, the big market, let's call it, and he might not want to go to a secondary market here. Like, maybe he doesn't want to play for the Texas Rangers. You know, maybe the New York Mets and the Yankees potentially, or the Red Sox, you know, the Dodgers, Angels, those kind of teams, those are the ones that I think might be of more interest to him and where it says in this article that the Mets are not only a team to watch but they have as good a chance of anyone to land him which I find a little interesting because the Mets don't really have much of a presence in Asia Um, the Diamondbacks had some um, but they didn't even make any massive spends there but they they grabbed some guys from Japan so I don't know if Jared Porter's bringing over a little information but you know, he's the type of guy that I think probably fits in the mold of what Sandy talked about last week, where he said, you know, we are looking for like a three or four starter. And, you know, that probably fits what Sugano is. And my my only concern with him is outside of the transition from Japanese baseball to Major League Baseball is he didn't really strike out a bunch of guys in Japan. Uh, He he has a career strikeout rate of 8.0. You know, more recently, he's been closer to 8.5. But, you know, you can succeed striking out about 8 per 9 innings. But if coming to, you know, better competition in the United States, you know, lessens that strikeout rate... It's really hard to be very good if you're striking out, let's call it seven guys per nine innings. It makes it a lot more difficult. But he's a control artist, doesn't give up a ton of hits, uh, maintains the long ball. So he's, you know, a guy that I think fits that 3-4 mold, and it would be it would be a welcome change. And I think set a precedent going forward that the Mets are going to be factors in Asia. And maybe that's even a little more important than specifically Sugano himself in a sense. And we've often seen, you know, some guys come over from Japan and just been dominant early on. And then, you know, maybe come back to reality or maybe not work out. You know, one that comes to mind for me is Dice K. Because I remember his second season, you know, he pitched to a sub three ERA and had he went eighteen and three. I mean, he was phenomenal. And then after that, it was it was a lot of ERAs, you know, five seven six, five three, four six nine, you know. And it's it's I think it's dumb in scouting to say, hey, did he just get figured out? But I think there's something to it, right? Like, and guys get older. 
But like, you know, when Tanaka came over, Tanaka was was dominant. His first year was pretty good his second year. And then, you know, eventually he, he started to be, you know, kind of just okay. And I thought he was very good last year in the shortened season. But it also makes you wonder, is this an area that the Mets are, are particularly interested in? Because I don't... Like, Joe, what do you think this deal looks like? This doesn't sound like a crazy deal where you're attached to him for four or five years. This seems to be, and maybe I'm wrong, but in the two to three year kind of window. I, I'd guess three years and in the neighborhood of 12 to 14 million That's a year, a if I had to risk. guess. So I, yeah, so it, it's going to cost you a little bit, but it's not a sum of money that is, you know, outrageous. Uh, so I think he's an affordable option. Um, is he the top of my personal list? Probably not. But if they were to sign him, I'd commend them, one, on being willing to take that risk and also show that, hey, the Mets the Mets now under Steve Cohen, we're going to be paying attention to all facets of the market, not just you know regular MLB free agency and regular trades and the draft we're going we're going to look in the asia when there are guys that are made available in asia we're going to be players for them and i think i think that overall you know concept of doing that just setting a precedent is a good thing i think going forward i think so too and you know this could tell you a couple things it could tell you the mets are particularly not encouraged by what maybe jake odorizzi or masahiro tanaka are asking for right now and they're saying hey we'll put their risk you know, somewhere else, or maybe it's, they're just looking everywhere, which is, it's good to hear those things as a Mets fan, because it's something that they avoided for so long. They were so risk averse. They were so afraid to make any kind of mistake uh, that it pretty much led to, to no hits in, in free agency for the most part. So as we kicked off, we said there is going to be a little Christmas theme here to this show. Happy holidays theme. Joe and I get to get to pick our presents, which is kind of nice. We get to pick one present for under the tree and then a stocking stuffer. So you get the idea here. Joe, you get to kick it off. What are you hoping to wake up for on Christmas Day and, and see associated with the New York Mets? So I'll be stunned if your present under the tree does not match mine, which I don't <laughs> so like to obvious. share. I, I don't like to share, but in this case, I'm willing to. Uh, George Springer is obviously the player that I want to open up the present and there he is in a Mets hat and Mets jersey and everything. Uh, to me, he's everything the Mets need right now. They need right-handed thump. They need a real center fielder, which he is. He's a great leader. I mean, we've talked about George Springer to, to no end. You, you all know how we feel about him and there's no question that is to me without George Springer, I'll be, that's the only guy I'll be disappointed. The Mets could miss out on Bauer. They could miss out on Lindor and Arenado and you name it. They could miss out on all of those guys. And I'll just go, eh, you know, it's all right. They could get someone else instead. Uh, if they miss out on Springer, I'd be truly bummed out. So uh, I hope it doesn't happen. The Blue Jays are legitimate competition, and I think people aren't taking them as seriously as they should. Uh, they're a team that's looking to really spend, and George Springer's high on their list. So there's going to be a bit of a battle for him, and I hope that whole, you know, what Stevie wants, Stevie gets thing comes out, and, you know, they do what's necessary to close the deal. And then for my stocking stuffer, I'm going to go with Sonny Gray. I have, I decided the other day when I saw the report on MLB Network and tweeted about it, 
about Suarez and Sonny Gray possibly being options to come to the Mets in a package deal. And I, when I tweeted that out, I just get a bunch of people, hasn't Sonny Gray proven that he can't pitch in New York? Blah, 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 blah. And I said, you know what, Joe? Go ahead and do a, let, let's do a little bit of a study here and see what is the difference between Sonny Gray in 2018 and Sonny Gray in 2019 slash 2020. And it's going to get a little nerdy, so try to, you know, bear with me. And But it really comes down to me, you know, if you want to take the simplistic view, which I think is what a lot of people would do, and there's home road splits. Pretty easy. In, in 2018 with the Yankees, he obviously pitched in Yankee Stadium, which is a band box, really competitive AL East. At home, he was 4-4 four and four with a 6.98 ERA and 11 home runs allowed in 59 innings. On the road, he was 7-5 and five with a 3.17 ERA and 3 home runs allowed in 71 innings. So, drastic home road splits. Yankee Stadium, you know, you could say, well, he couldn't pitch in front of the New York fans, which, okay, maybe. It's a bit of a stretch, but... You know, I'll, I'll even, if, if I want to go with that, fine. But really, what it comes down to is the pitch usage. So, with the Yankees in 2018, they wanted him to throw more sliders in kind of regular counts, so to speak. Much like Masahiro Tanaka did. And Sonny Gray spoke about this with The Athletic. And they wanted him to just... Throw, you know, a 1-1 slider for a strike that someone will hopefully swing and miss at. Well, Sonny Gray admittedly says, I throw my slider to get strikeouts. I can't locate it consistently. I throw it, I try to throw it down and away, down in the dirt. And, you know, I try to get swings and misses on it. I'm not Masahiro Tanaka. I can't pitch like that. So I think the slider usage, while percentage-wise between the Yankees and Cincinnati wasn't drastically different, the way the Yankees implored him to use the slider made a big difference. But the even bigger difference is in 2018 with the Yankees, Sonny Gray threw a cutter 20.4% of his pitches per fan grass. In 2019 for the Reds, he threw his cutter 0.4% of the time. And in 2020, he did not throw a single cutter. So the Reds scrapped the cutter from his arsenal. So if you take a look at these two facts, so you have the home road splits, a factor. You have the way the slider was being used as a factor. And then you have kind of the enforcing of using a cutter and then what happened when the cutter was taken away. To me, I think Sonny Gray was just misused with the Yankees. I don't think... You know, I, I can't speak to anyone's mental makeup. Neither can you. Neither could anybody listening to this podcast. We have no idea what Sonny Gray's mental makeup is. But there is very substantiating evidence, you know, that I just spelled out here that tells you why Sonny Gray did not succeed with the Yankees and has since succeeded with the Reds. And that's not even taking into account going to Nano Central, lesser competition, that kind of stuff. But just from a pitch usage standpoint, it's very clear to me that the Yankees just, which they typically do a good job of this, but the Yankees just didn't utilize what Sonny Gray does best. And I think that is what hurt him. And in 2017, when he was traded to the Yankees, 
he pitched like a 370 ERA in 11 starts. So like he did fine then. It's that first offseason is when they really made changes to how they wanted him to throw for, you know, their organizational philosophy. And I think it's more the Yankees than it is Sonny Gray. So bring me Sonny Gray. I would, you know, if I could make the type of deal you mentioned before, including Eugenio Suarez, awesome bonus. But I would trade for just Sonny Gray. And I'd part with Ahmed Rosario and, and a piece, and I would have no problem doing that. I think I would rather, I'd rather have Sonny Gray than any non-Trevor Bauer free agent out there right now, wow. personally. That's a big statement. But, I mean, the numbers are all there, like you listed. And, and that's a great selling point on Sonny Gray. And I think it's really good analysis and, and really good research by you to see, hey, you know, what was the difference? This guy didn't get old. He didn't, you know, a lot of people say he melted in the, in Yankee Stadium and all of those things. But like you highlighted, it's he wasn't terrible when they got him. He, you know, he pitched it with three, seven in a brutal division in a brutal ballpark. But the year after that, it, it, it is an outlier for him, right? It really is. I know he had the one year in Oakland where he had a five, six, nine ERA, but besides that, those are his two outlier years. I mean, you're talking about a, a, a player that usually hovers right around a three when you put it all together. I mean, a lot, uh, quite a few, three years, sub three ERA. I, and this is a team that's going to use data. The catcher, you if you hear him speak, he is going to help these guys so much. I mean, Sonny Gray was a first-round pick by the A's in 2011. It's not like, you know, there is a lot of talent there. So it, it's tricky. It's, it's definitely one that he seems like a guy that should have a pretty big trade market because... Quite frankly, he, he has two years of team control left, and I think he has a team option in 2023. So that's a lot of control at really not a crazy number. If you're a National League team that thinks, hey, this guy can pitch in the National League for us. So I don't think that's crazy at all. I like that as a stocking stuffer. Of course, we agree on George Springer. You know, that's the one that we've said from the jump. Uh, the Mets need to get it done. Now, the Blue Jays are not going to make that easy, and we don't know what where George Springer wants, where he wants to go. Now, I I can't, you know, I, I don't mean to comment on somebody else's life, but I, it would surprise me if he had this big desire to go to Toronto over the Mets, uh, considering where he's from and everything, but maybe he wants to stay in the American League. Those are things that I can't answer. At the end of the day, my I've said this from the get-go, that he's going to go where the money is, every last dollar. So, And he will get a really good contract because there's a market for him. But to make it a little different, I'll, go, I'll, I'll alter my, you know, my wish from yours, Joe. I never expected this name to be a realistic guy in the market. If Eugenio Suarez is available for not much because he makes some money, I would love to see him in a Mets uniform. If you look at this, you're talking about, sure, he's an average third baseman defensively, which is enough for the Mets. I mean, he's 29 years old. He makes about $11 million a year. You'd have him under contract for the window that the Mets want to win in right now, which is until about 2024. And then there's a team option in 2025. I don't. I look at this one and, and just that if he really is available, right-handed bat. They need a right-handed bat. I mean, he's a premier power hitter in baseball that is entering his prime. 
that is under contract for a very reasonable amount. I don't know. I look at this one and go, man, I I know the Reds are trying to get rid of some money. Maybe they're trying to add some players to their farm system or just get younger or cost-controlled. And there probably is some finance issues there. And like you said, they have guys in the farm ready to take over a third. I remember Jonathan India because I wanted the Mets to draft him, and they took him right before the Mets could. But I would love to see Suarez in a Mets uniform. And if this was a trade that happened, it's not one that I would expect. But now now that there's any kind of buzz to it, I would be all over getting a package of him and Sonny Gray. I think that would be a not... Why I like that trade so much, Joe, is two things. One, it makes them significantly better for this year. But it's not a flash-in-a-pan deal. That's a core deal where you go, okay, we're good for a couple of years now with these guys, and it's really not... I mean, Sonny Gray and Suarez together cost you less than one George Springer. And that's no... I want Springer still, but I'm just pointing out how, from a financial aspect, that is... That's a big-time one. Stocking stuffer, for me, is not really a surprise. They got to get an arm in this rotation that's reliable. And I know the elbow concerns might be there, but I want Tanaka to be pitching for the Mets next year, especially as soon as Jeff Passan said, hey, I don't think he's going back to the Yankees no matter what. I don't see why Tanaka would want to leave New York. The Mets have the money. They have the need. I don't think he gets more than a two-year deal. You're looking at two years, maybe $21 million kind of deal. I think Tanaka is the perfect guy for the middle of this rotation for the next two years, and I would really like to see them get, you know, him or Odorizzi. I feel a little better about Tanaka, but one of those, and I think Odorizzi gets more money. I I would really like to see them get one of those done so we're not in this this panic state about the middle of the rotation. I agree. I I like Tanaka a little more than Odorizzi as well. And certainly if you want to go kind of the more risky route, you could pursue a guy like a James Paxton, like we discussed on kind of a one-year deal, you know, patch him into the rotation. But when it comes to Suarez, brings up an interesting question because obviously, and to be clear, you know, it's sort of similar in a sense to the McCann-Rail Muto discussion where it's, he obviously Suarez isn't He's not Nolan Arenado. Arenado's the best defensive player in baseball and an elite, elite hitter. But is he $25 million a year more valuable than Eugenio Suarez? Not even close. I don't I mean, know. I don't, I don't think so. The glove so. is totally yeah. different. I yeah. get that. It's totally different. From a, a hitting perspective, I mean, we. I, and I'm not one of those like, oh my God, our Arenado only hits in Colorado. Like, I'm not one of those guys. But we, we do wonder about the splits a little, or at least how they will age. They're both 29, and Arenado's a little older than Suarez. And like you said, it's not a lot of people sit here and go, well, it doesn't, money doesn't matter. Well, it still does, because you're talking about $25 million, So we could sit here, Joe, and say, okay, Suarez and Springer or just Arenado? Seriously. That's what you could be talking about here. Yeah. Or, I, know where, I know which one I pick every or, time. Or you could even say this. Suarez and Michael Conforto or Arenado? That's a very good point. You need to keep in mind the future contracts of this baseball team. Yeah, there's no question. Michael Conforto is obviously coming up for an extension. And, you know, we've talked about it since this podcast started that keeping him is going to be a priority. And James McCann even came out today or yesterday or whenever. I, I saw Mike Mayer from Metsmerize post it where James McCann said, you know, the first person from the team to reach out to me was Michael Conforto. Michael Conforto is the leader and captain 
so to speak, of this team. Like, I don't believe in captains. Like, it's just not a baseball thing. But he's he's just the true leader of this team. So the Mets need to make sure that they bring Conforto back. And, you know, uh, you'd like to do it before the season. And hopefully Scott Boris is, you know, complying and will, willing to talk. But, you know, you, you might be talking like a George Springer type of contract to keep him. So you have to keep in mind, while all these moves are exciting, there's no question, and the Mets are going to make other moves, so it's not like they're going to stop because of future money to be spent, but you know, you have to keep in your mind that Conforos can cost you a pretty penny, if not in the next couple months, then let's call it the next 12 months, and what if Noah Syndergaard comes back and is really awesome? You're going to want to keep him too? <laughs> So you have not everyone gets 25 million a year, right? That's how it goes. Yeah, exactly. So you have to figure out how you want to budget this going forward, which is why I think getting that one big spend, a Springer, as we would prefer, is the right way to go. And then get guys in this 10 million range. Like if you could pull up Suarez and Sonny Gray, you know, that's a couple $10 million guys. Like you could deal with those kind of dollars because those dollars kind of get replaced year in and year out. Like Familia is going to fall off the books, Batances will fall off the books and, you know, other money will. But I think that's really where you want to reside, you know, just to keep some flexibility is, you know, get that one big fish. And I think that should be George Springer. And then fine, you know, these guys like James McCann gets $10 million a year. And then if you could pull off a Suarez and a Gray, that's, you know, another $10 million for, for Gray and then $11 million for uh, Suarez. And I think you're in a good spot. I'm with you all the way. Let's get to some questions because the people have been patiently waiting. The first one from an insane Mets fan. How do you nicely explain to fans to be patient with the offseason? I see too many people saying rude things about Steve Cohen because the Mets haven't made too many moves yet. What do you tell these impatient fans? Joe, I'll let you kick that one off. Well, if you're saying rude things to Steve Cohen, you stop yourself right now. You suck if you're doing that. (laughs) You leave Steve Steve Cohen alone, okay? He's going to be just fine. But as far as having patience, the Mets have made two of the biggest moves of the offseason. So let's not act like the Mets are sitting on their thumb and not doing anything. There's an argument they gave too much money to James McCann. <laughs> and, you know, Trevor May, who I think is going to be a quality reliever for this team. The market isn't moving. They haven't missed out on anybody that, you know, short of, let's call it Charlie Morton, but they couldn't get Charlie Morton. You know why they couldn't get Charlie Morton? Because City Field is not in Atlanta or Florida. <laughs> City Field is in New York, so they could not land Charlie Morton. But outside of that, I don't know about you, but there is not one player that signed somewhere where I'm like, I can't believe the Mets didn't play there. Everything that I want is still out there. So you have to have some patience. The baseball offseason is a little slower than normal this year. One, you didn't have the juicy winter meetings where guys are, you know, sipping drinks at the bar and then going and having trade talks and (laughs) figuring out a deal. But you didn't have the winter meetings like normal, certainly. And you have the whole financial climate from money supposedly lost from COVID-19 from COVID this year and just everything related to that. It's just a slower moving off season. And the last thing you want to do too, if you're the Mets, is just overpay everybody and set the market everywhere. I want to, you know, they re- they identified Trevor May as we want this guy and we think he's going to sign a little quicker. So they did what they had to do to get him. 
they identified that they wanted James McCann because they said, we're not waiting on JT Realmuto and then having no backup options. So we have no choice but to give him whatever he, whatever he wants. What I want the Mets to do is just be smart, take their time. You know, at the end of the day, this is all going to wrap up by the beginning of February. So that's a month from now. You know, let's not act like you have another six months of dealing with this. So I'd say just relax a little bit. The Mets are going to be active. They're going to make moves. January is going to probably be pretty fun. And yeah, I, I think it's just, it's the nature of the offseason. They have to play it because I want them to find those value plays too. I want them to find, you know, that diamond in the rough reliever. Maybe you get a better starting pitcher than you think. Like I, I personally believe, and I know you don't want this and most fans don't want this and I don't necessarily want it, but I think there's a legitimate chance Steven Matz is the number five starter going into spring training and they bring in just competition behind him. But wouldn't shock me. But who's to say if you don't just go nuts just to make everybody happy and create headlines and back pages and all that stuff right away, if you know, at the end of January you might have a starting pitcher that you don't expect willing to sign a one year three million dollar deal that, you know, is better than Matt's. And then Matt's could become a swing man and you create some more depth. Like that's that's the possibilities that exist by having some level of patience. When they start losing guys that I really want, then I'll be on boards with you guys that they have to get going. Like if they're sitting there and all of a sudden Odorizzi, Tanaka, and Sugano come off the market and they didn't get any of them, then I'm going to be like, what the hell are you doing? But until then, relax, enjoy Christmas, enjoy New Year's, and shortly after that, I think stuff's going to really roll. Yeah, well said. Honestly, it, you know that I don't really need to touch it more on it because that's how I feel. You're not a lot of fans. It's tough because every sport's different in a sense, right? And baseball is really, really different. And a lot of the insiders even say it's frustrating. The off the baseball offseason's very poor. Like when there are big free agents in hockey, things are crazy in the first two days. Every year in the NFL, things are bananas. I can't get off Twitter for. 72 hours straight. It's hard to go to bed. That's how crazy it is. Basketball, I mean, it's well known. The basketball offseason might be better than the regular season. That's how electric it is. Baseball doesn't have to be that way as those three things, but it needs to be better, and it's a gigantic problem. And that doesn't mean the Mets need to be the ones to be idiots. Like, if you want to, here's the honest reality right now. George Springer's not signing because he probably is sitting there being told we are one of the very fortunate ones that has multiple teams in on us, and those negotiations might have started out at five years, 125. Three weeks go by, you could be looking at six years, 165. I don't think that's going to happen, but the reality is there's a chance. We don't know what Toronto's going to do. They might do something crazy. They, they have mega money, as Joe has said many times. The Mets have mega money right now. So Springer's lucky enough that, guess what? The two teams, literally two teams with mega money this year or looking to spend mega money this year are both in on him. He doesn't have to move right now. Real Muto probably made a mistake by being so hesitant, and it cost him. I think it'll cost him, ultimately, because the Mets being out on him, it, obviously because they signed McCann, is it hurts his market. It really does. So it's you need to blame a little bit of everyone. 
And unfortunately, baseball owners are not in this mindset of spend, 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 where, I mean, a good example is in football, when a top offensive tackle or a top 10 to 12 offensive tackle hits the market, the need is so dire and the money is there because it's this is how the NFL operates. He's signed weeks before. He, they're using, he's even allowed to be. That's how badly teams want him. It's all done verbally. So it's a baseball problem. It's not a Mets problem. It's not a Steve Cohen problem. And if we're sitting here a month from now and they haven't made one more move and one more big move and all those guys are gone, then we'll talk about it. But right now, you can't blame any. You, it's not on their shoulders. So, But it's a really good question from an insane Mets fan because I do see a lot of it. The next one from Brian Dobb. How will the Mets spend their international pool money now that, uh, I believe it's Yolke Cespedes? How do, Joe, help me out here. Yoelke. Yoelke Cespedes is looking like he's going to the White Sox. I don't think that was an area the Mets were ever going to dive into, <laughs> another Cespedes. But, Joe, you've been all over this um, and, and have a very interesting name thrown into the mix. How do you view the Mets going into the international money a market that, correct me if I'm wrong, they're not overwhelmingly invested in at the current moment from the previous regime. Yeah, at the current moment, so the international free agent market typically opens every July 2nd. But because of COVID, they pushed off this past July signing period to January 15th. So in the middle of January, you know, so two, three weeks from now, whatever, you're going to see a a big influx of international free agent signings. And most of these have already been done for months and months and months. And it's just finally getting it official. And Baseball America and Ben Badler is, that is the man to me. Uh, if you're if you're looking for international coverage, you know, that that's who I go to for everything. And the Mets on average will sign somebody for a million bucks, a couple million bucks, you know, every year, maybe every other year. But for this class, as of now, Ben Badler says that they're taking a different approach with no projected seven-figure bonuses, but a significant volume of players in the 100000 to 600000 bracket. Uh, a couple names that he mentions, and I'm not going to pretend that I know much about these guys because they are not signing any of, as of now, any of the top available international free agents. Uh, there's Johairo Cuevas from the Dominican Republic, Gustavo Marquez from Venezuela, uh, a pitcher, Elian Nunez from Dominica, Dominican Republic, and then Venezuelan right-hander Anderson Aravalo. And, you know, there's a few more there, too, uh, rather than reading all of the Baseball America insider stuff. But there's there's about 11 guys that he says the Mets will be signing, and seems like most or all of those are going to be in the... 100,000 to 600,000 range, which... So quantity over quality is essentially where it's at right now. Where it's at right now. But we have an interesting twist. Uh, Today, a guy that has, uh, I'd say wrongly, but in a way, but dubbed the Cuban Shohei Otani, Oscar Luis Colas, has been made a free agent and is going to be eligible to sign using this year's international free agent budget and will be able to be signed on January 15th. I don't think the Mets planned this where they can potentially have some money available that to sign a guy like Colas because we didn't know when or if Colas was going to become available. So Colas is a, a two-way player. 
He plays first base, left field, and pitches. He has come out and said that he doesn't really want to pitch anymore. He just wants to focus on hitting and defense. But, you know, he has the capability. If, if you <laughs> If you wanted to develop him as such, you know, he could... T- be a two-way player like an Otani, like a Brendan McKay, you know, guys like that. But at this point, his calling card is power. He's a, you know, bigger guy. He's got, you know, plus power. And I did some research that basically said if Colas were, let's just call it in the MLB draft, he'd be like a mid to late first round pick. So it's, it's it's a real talent that I think... The Mets could potentially have some money available to sign. There's no word as to who's interested in Colas, who's going to sign him. Um, This is all speculation on my part because I find it a little weird that they aren't spending even at all on any big guy. And, you know, they're going to have, I I don't know exactly what their slot pool is. I think it's around $6 So, like, they have a lot of money to spend. And, you know, Yoelki Cespedes today who's, you know, one of the top five guys, MLB.com ranked him as the best international free agent in this class. He's going to be signing with the White Sox for a tick over $2 million. So Colas might be right in that range as well. And, you know, I, I hope the Mets have some available money because, you know, it's just it's just adding another piece to the puzzle. It, it, it You can't, it's not like, you, you're not going to sign him. He's not going to be on the Mets in 2021. Um, he'd probably be a guy that'd have to go to A ball or maybe double A, something like that, and you know, see see what you got. Just add another talent. I'd I'd very much like to see them pivot towards a Colas. No idea if they will, but that's what I'd like to see. Yeah, no, that's I, I we all would love a big name. And I think that it's not gonna you know with the Mets it's hard because it's like it's like being deprived for so long. And then you're kind of told all at once that it's all changing at once. I think over time, everything will change with the Mets, right? And Joe has really preached this. They'll have a bigger international presence. They'll spend every avenue that requires spending to make the franchise better. I just don't think it's fair to expect it in the first three months. Because the employee, you still have to scout. You don't just read an article and go, okay, let's go get that guy. So... It's very exciting long-term. It will take a little while. And I think that's why, yes, Steve Cohen wants to win right now. And I think the Mets are good enough to win right now. But they're also sitting here going, well, let's not act like we're operating in a one- to two-year window when we know we can get this thing 100% right in every corner of the organization, where in four to five years, we're more like the Dodgers that typically don't reset anymore. Because they are just so loaded in the farm, they can make any move they need to in trades and free agency. And quite frankly, do they maximize their money? Yes, they use as much as they need to. But that's because one, they can. And two, they're generally not idiots with the way they spend. I think the Mets are looking at that model and saying, hey, we don't want to corner ourselves where we have three Robinson Cano deals on this team at a time that we're trying to work around. I think that's something to keep in mind. As well, the next one from Nick Pauly. Where's your favorite? This is a great question. Where's your favorite place to sit or stand to watch a game at City Field? Easy, and I love this question. Different than the, than the typical thing. To me, this is the easiest question ever. 
upper deck right behind home plate, section 400, whatever, row one or two, directly behind home plate. You know, if I go to a game, there's a high probability that's where I'm sitting. Okay. I mean, that's pretty close to what I would go with. I would say just one below, right around where Gary, Keith, and Ron's booth is. Not obviously right below it, but in that general area. I've sat there a couple of times, and I just think that view of the entire field at that middle deck level, you know, the foul balls still come right up, right up there all the time. It's a very small section, very small. I believe it has club access, so like... The, there's literally no lines, not met much of lines. Now, this could change because the Mets are going to be a lot better or more desirable experience. But there's there's not the same kind of food and bathroom lines that you experience. It, it's just an all-around premium. And it's not outwardly, in, like, it's not overcharged either. So I'm kind of with you, Joe. That area behind home plate that's that's not all the way down is a phenomenal place to sit. And the view of city, the entire field is unbelievable. Um, I've sat all over City Field. When I first moved down from upstate, I you know it was the year they made the World Series, and I, I just found myself constantly wanting to go to the park. Uh, I've sat, you know, field level, third base, first base, third base, and first base lines. I've sat where you said, obviously, you know, right around the the boots as well. I've sat in the is the, it's the Coca Cola porch now, but the porch. Um, you know, I've stood on the bridge, left field. I I'll tell you this about City Field. Uh, you know, I've been to a couple of ballparks around the country, not a ton. You know, I've been to the Mariners, I've been to the Royals. City Field is a tremendous ballpark. I don't really think there's a bad seat in the house. No, I agree. I think City Field is an awesome stadium. Um, I, I've sat obviously with the seven line plenty, and that's not the most ideal view personally for me to watch a game. But the seven line is obviously a, an awesome environment. And frankly, the, the biggest thing that I think we could take away from this question is that Connor's way more bougie than I am. Oh, my God. That is not Connor, true. Connor, you I... need club access, your bathroom lines, the selection Dude, of food. Dude, it's the Mets. It's like, <laughs> it's like nothing. But no, it is funny the way you say that. I do – I have to admit, I am a pain in the ass about certain things at stadiums. Like, there is nothing worse than having a – and I'm a big Rangers fan, and I go to a lot – and. MSG tickets for anything are insane. So I sit all the way up at hockey games or in the bridge. And, man, it is you just miss so much of the game if you want a beer or if you want food or if you need to go to the bathroom. It's like – and MSG is incredible. And I love going to Rangers games. You know, I go to Rangers games more than any of my other teams. But that is such a little issue in the experience that if you can avoid it, it just makes it that much better because baseball, like with hockey, you can afford it a little bit because there's intermissions. Baseball, there's no intermissions. Like you're just going, going, going. I am one of those people that it, it really annoys me to miss a lot of the game. I'm the same way, and I'm just messing with you a bit. But No, you're right. <laughs> it's, it is funny to put it like that. But no, I'm the same way. That's why I... I'm the kind of guy when I go to a game, I get there like crazy, like real early. Like I'm not, yeah, I'm not a last second way, guy. Right? You know, I I show up at the park. You know, at least let's call it two to two and a half hours before first pitch. I hang out, yeah. have some snacks, have a beer or two in the lot. Then I go in and I get my stuff that I'm having for the game, and I don't get up unless I have to pee so bad that I can't, I can't hold it. Yep. I, I don't get up for games. I get all my food ahead of time. 
I sit, I watch, you know, maybe the end of BP, whatever I can grab. And uh, yeah, no, for me, I'm with you though. I don't like to miss the game. Um, I'm sitting there, I'm watching every inning. I don't leave games early, nothing like that. But for me, it's, you know, let's call it behind home plate. And I guess maybe if I have a good time, good day at work or whatever, maybe I'll have money to sit in the 300s like you. Joe, now that we do a show together, we'll uh, we'll live the good life, and you know, because this show makes us so much money. <laughs> it doesn't make it actually costs us money to do this show. It doesn't make a single cent. Um, we'll we'll do something big. I have to say, it, you know, the last time I always pray the Mets are in the playoffs, and obviously they never are recently. Um, you know, I a lot of people know I work for Bleacher Report, and TBS does the games. Bleacher Report is owned by Turner, so I would fight tooth and nail to get those tickets and it it happens sometimes so so joe let's uh keep our fingers crossed maybe we'll get lucky and and we'll get to live the bougie life for mets playoffs we'll see last question of the show it's been a fun one we've gone through a lot and i have a weird feeling that maybe not next show but two shows from now we're going to be discussing something big with the new york mets last question here from dan roman are you hearing anything about the Mets filling out their front office now that Porter is on board? Joe, this is absolutely in your wheelhouse. I hate to say no. That's just the answer. It's been very quiet. Yeah, it's been quiet. And Porter himself even said, you know, uh, he's going to acclimate himself a little bit here. You know, he has to figure out the organization, build this rapport with Sandy Alderson. But like you said, I think maybe two, three, maybe even four shows from now, you'll see a little bit, but... Ultimately, I think because of the timing of when they worked all of this out, that this offseason is not really going to see much front office change. I think that's going to be more of a next year thing. You know, they could maybe grab some guys throughout the summer, but, uh, you know, you'll you'll see some guys thrown in. You know, there's certainly rumors of J.P. Ricciardi re- uh, returning in some form. He obviously has a great relationship with Sandy Alderson. And, you know, Jared Porter has relationships all over, and there are teams that dumped analytics people and dumped scouts and for financial reasons. And, you know, maybe he grabs a couple guys to start to build kind of his cabinet, because I, I think I said it last week or at some point recently that I don't want Sandy Alderson hiring people anymore. He did his hiring. He hired Jared Porter. Now I want him to step out of the way, and Jared Porter is going to be the guy that's going to be running this team into the future. Sandy's going to be making decisions now for baseball operations and things like that. There's no question. But Jared Porter is the guy that they're hiring with the intention to be the head of baseball operations for the Mets for years to come. I don't want Sandy bringing in people anymore. I want Jared to. So I want Jared to figure out who he wants on his research and development team. If he wants to add to pro scouting, because that's where his, you know, his most experience is. So he knows great pro scouts. So if he wants to bring people into there, sweet. You know, if he wants to add to the already very good amateur scouting department, bring it on. And then, you know, I want to see who his assistant GMs are going to be, who are going to be his right-hand men or woman. And I want to see that happen sooner than later, but it's looking like a lot of the, at least the major moves as far as front office might be more next year than than this winter yeah I think that that sums it up pretty well you know he got he took a risk with this job but it's also an exciting opportunity and it's it's going to take a little while especially 
you know, I've, I've been behind these, you know, not for baseball, but I've been behind these, the scenes for these things in football a lot. And it's very similar in a sense that, you know, a lot of times these, these guys that are weighing these jobs need time because they're moving very far. They have families. It's, they have agents. So there's big negotiations that go on in terms of the money and the years and the contracts that land, you know, big time talent. And it's just a bit of a process. And I think when you do all that right in the smack in the middle of the holidays, um, you know, kind of what I would consider maybe a little deep into the baseball offseason, it's it's going to be slower than usual. And, and honestly, he might be, him and Sandy really might be like their own one-man bands where they're not going to have this, you know, they got the guys that are doing the draft and all the scouting, but in terms of a lot of pro stuff or having an assistant GM, that stuff might take a little while. So we'll wait it out. We've, we've been patient this long. I think it's going to be okay. And I'm pretty excited to see where this Mets offseason goes now that Porter will also have his, you know, his voice on the moves they make. Joe, closing thoughts from the holiday episode, the first of many holiday episodes of the That's So Mets podcast, episode number 21. Yeah, just want to wish everyone a happy holidays and, you know, just enjoy this time and, you know, don't fret about what the Mets are doing or not doing and, you know, it's all it's all going to come together. It's all going to work out, I think. And I think Mets fans will be very happy with ultimately what happens through once this offseason, you know, concludes and we get ready to report the spring training, whenever that's going to be. And, you know, hopefully we can get ready to go to baseball games. Like, that's my wish for Christmas is that next year, you know, we can go to a baseball game together or, you know, do some things. So, yeah, I just wish everyone a happy holidays and uh, really appreciate all the support and you know the activity just is upticking each week you know i put out and ask for questions and you know we get we get a lot of them and if we had more time and you know we would answer them all but you know uh, please keep keep sending your questions and you know let's get on some of those itunes reviews we didn't get any since the last episode uh but we did get some five star ratings uh so we really appreciate that but no the support of the show in our first coming months, uh, I, I couldn't be happier with where we are. And, yeah, can't wait to keep going the rest of this offseason. And, uh, yeah, Connor, Merry Christmas. Enjoy it. Absolutely. Merry Christmas. Um, you know, we're excited to to continue this show going strong. You'll have a new episode for New Year's. Don't worry. We're not going anywhere. Joe and I are going to find a way. We're going to figure this thing out. We're always going to have a show uh, every week uh, going forward. And Who knows what it will grow into, but... A happy holidays to everyone. Thank you so much. We'll catch you next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're Black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.